Masechet Rava Kama Daf Kof Bet. Rava Rameh. Rava is going to cite two Tanaitic traditions that seem to contradict each other. On the previous Daf, he also cited two uh, Mishnayot that seem to contradict. So once we brought one such challenge, we're bringing yet another one. This one is about the subject of wood and branches. Do they have Kedushat Shivirit? Kedushat Shivit, the holiness of Shivit and all the laws connected to it, certainly apply to fruits and vegetables that you eat. But what about other parts of the plant that you are, don't use for eating? So here's the first Mishnah from Masechet Shivit, Tenan. Here it talks about sefichim. Sefichim is something that grows on its own. You didn't plant it on that uh, uh, purposely, but it's just from leftovers. It, it grows that year. Sefichim leftovers are permitted to use during the shivit year. Um, you can take some and use it for personal use. You can't sell it. You can't hoard it. You can only use it as long as there is um, um, more left out in the field. So if you have sefichim of woad and safflower, uh, here is woad that's used to make blue dye like this and the go dye. And here is safflower that's used to make yellow dye. So you take these plants um, and uh, that or other types of plants that you use for dyes and you are take the the that that grow on their own um so these do have kiddushat shivit you have to treat them with all the laws regard like shivit so you can use them um their uh money if you exchange them or sell them so that money also has the laws of shivit attached to it and there is the law of biod which means if there's no you can use it at home as long as there's lots left in the field for other people to use you can take some home uh, but it once uh, the once the field clears out so then you have to take remove all whatever you hoarded in your house you have to take outside and allow everyone to share it and also the money if you exchange it then that money also you have to um, do the same so you see from this Mishnah that wood branches non-edible parts of a plant uh, do have Kedusha Chevirit but here's the contradiction. Would mean he here's a brayta ale kanim vale gefanim shegi beban bechaba al pnei sadeh liketan lachila yesh v'mishum kedushat shibit laesim and behem mishum kedushat shibirit. If someone has uh, leaves and vines that he piles up for storage in the field. So it depends. If he's storing it up because he wants to eat it, maybe like grape leaves, he's going to uh, eat it, make yebra out of it, um, then those uh, have Kiddushat Shevi'it. But if he's only using the wood for burning, then Kiddushat Shevi'it does not apply to it. So we see here that Kiddushat Shevi'it does not apply to branches and wood. So we answer, Umeshane, the Rabbi himself answered, Amarkera, Leochla, Bimishinato, Biudo, Shavin, Yasu Esim Shinatan, Achar, Biodan. There's a difference in how you use it, um, it's not, uh, uh, and uh, different laws will apply to it. Since the Pasuk says that whatever grows in the Shavit by itself, you can take Leochla to eat it. That doesn't only mean if, uh, uh, literally eating it, but it means any benefit that you get. Uh, by what that is that the item is consumed also at the same time when you eat something so the item is consumed is destroyed as you uh, as you chew it and swallow it which is as you eat it as you benefit from it so it happens at the same time similarly with dyeing um, when you dye something you're basically cooking the parts of that flower um, or that root um, with the wool and so as you're cooking it it's getting destroyed 
but it's also you're getting benefit of the dye. So those happen at the same time. Whereas wood that's used for kindling, not so. This is interesting. The way that they used uh, wood for cooking generally was that they didn't make a, a big fire out of the wood and then like, you know, uh, put the food directly in it, just gets burnt that way. Rather, they would burn some wood and wait till the till it died down and you had embers and then the embers or coals they would then put in the oven with the with the pot and that's how they did it so now by that time by the time you have embers the wood is uh, already destroyed so first you destroy the wood it's consumed and only then do you benefit from the uh, leftover heat that you use to cook and so therefore um, that is permitted so anytime you have a benefit that comes after the destruction that's totally permitted during Shavit. There's no Kiddushat Shavit there. Whereas if it happens simultaneously, then, yeah, you can use it within the boundaries of Shavit, but then you have to get rid of it when there's, uh, when there's no more. And uh, so that applies to food and dying. We ask a question. What about when you burn wood for heat? When you use it for cooking, then you burn it first and then use the, ember and, and then use the embers afterwards. But when you um, are burning for heat because it's cold out, then you are benefiting at the same time that it's being consumed. So then, therefore, Kiddushat Shavi'it should apply to wood if you're using it for uh, for burning for heat. But that's not what the Badaita said. And so Rava answers, well, unspecified wood, we assume you're using for fuel, meaning kindling for cooking, in which case that is totally permitted because they do not happen simultaneously. And that's what the Badaita was assuming when it said wood for burning. It means for kindling for cooking. But indeed, if it was for heat, then it would apply to the other category of something that the consumption and the benefit happens at the same time. This issue of whether um, wood that's used for kindling is permitted, it has Kiddushat Shavit or not, is itself the subject to a machloket between Tutanaim. As we read, um, You cannot take produce that grew on Shavit even though you can, you know, it's um, uh, permitted for, for some things like eating and cooking, as long as it, you know, uh, grew by itself during Shavit and no one planted it, but you cannot use it for all purposes. And so here it's saying that the produce, you cannot take this produce and put it in water that you want to use to soak flax or put it in water that you can use for laundering. When you soak, soak flax, you need, the, you need the flax to become very soft. So they would add um, different plants and roots. And also when you're cooking, when you're laundering, they would add uh, things like this uh, into the water that would help get stains out. So you cannot use Shavi'it produce for that according to Tanakama. The Biose, however, argues that you can take produce of Shavi'it and put it in the water that you're going to use for soaking flax or for laundering. So Tanakama, who says you cannot use uh, produce for soaking, that's because you're not getting benefit from the, the same time that it's being destroyed. So they would also say that you cannot use wood for kindling. Whereas the Biose, who says that you can use Shavi'it uh, produce for soaking and laundering, um, even though you're, the benefit is not happening at the same time as its consumption, they would say that you would be permitted to uh, burn wood to make uh, kindling and then use it to cook.
Now we want to find the source. The Pasuk says that whatever grows on its own during a Shavi'it year, you can have to eat. So that means only to eat, but not for soaking and not for laundering. Yepasuk also says, for you to use, so it means for you, for your uses, any uses that you want. As long as it's useful to you, you can use that shivi'it produce that grows on its own during that year. So Rabbanan, what are you going to do with that word? Doesn't it say lachem? So that means you should be able to use it for anything. No, lachem. It's comparing. You can use it for any use uh, that's good for you, as long as it's similar to eating. In what ways does it have to be, does it have to be similar? Uh, such that the benefit and the consumption happens at the same time. So that would definitely include eating, it would include dying, it would include um, uh, using fire uh, for heat, uh, where you get the benefit at the same time. But it would not include, it would not include uh, using it for soaking, and it would not include making uh, uh, kindling to use the embers later. What are you going to do with that word that says for eating? Even Rabbi Yose uh, excludes some things. And so he, sa- he says, uh, according to the following Beraita, that you can use shivi'i produce that grow on its own for eating, but not for medical uses. Uh, melogma is something either that you chew on uh, for um, so a benefit of uh, a wound or bad breath, um, or that you chew on it and you make an ointment, and then that ointment you apply uh, to somewhere else, something else on one's body. Um, so this is for a medical benefit. No, that's not what it's used for. It has to be only for um, eating benefit or other types of benefit, but not medical benefit. The Brayta continues and says, how do you know that eating means to exclude medical use? Uh, Maybe it means to exclude uh, laundry use. But since the Pasuk says, for your use, and that we already includes for soaking laundry, so then, uh, since that's included already, what do I do with the What is it going to exclude? It must exclude um, using it uh, for medical use. So why do you decide to include laundry but exclude medical use? Uh, because we want to include laundry because everybody needs laundry. Whereas I'm going to exclude medical use because only someone ill needs that. Most people aren't going to require this uh, medical treatment. Keman Azla Who is the, would be the author of this Baraita? Leochla velo logma. Leochla velo leziluf. Leochla velo laasot imena apiktezvizin. Keman kerebiyosed ikrabanan ikaname mishrach pusa. So the Baraita says you can use shivit, the produce that grows on the song, 
to eat, but not for medical use. To eat and not for sprinkling. People used to sprinkle very fragrant wine around their house in order to make the house smell nice. Um, but it's not you're not eating it. Uh, to eat and not to make a, an emetic that uh, to help people vomit. You cannot use produce for that. So who would be the author? It must be to be says the author because he would agree with that. And if the author was a banan, then it should also include and not soaking for flax and not laundering. Um, but since it doesn't include that, it must be that this, the author of this Baraita is Rabbi Yose. Next in the Mishnah it said, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Im HaShebach Vechule. So quoting that, that part of the Mishnah, we're going to quote it uh, again in the, in the Talmud. So, Yatib Rav Yosef, Achoreh de Rabbi Abba, Kameh de Rav Huna, Ve'yatib Rav Huna ve'ka'amad. Halacha ke Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha ve'halacha ke Rabbi Yehuda. So, Rav Yosef was sitting behind Rabbi Abba, and both of them were sitting before Rav Huna. The, choreo- the choreography here is Rav Huna is the teacher. He'll be, he'll be uh, in front of the room. And then the students would be in rows. The farther back you are in the row, the, the, the uh, lower uh, status student you, uh, you were. If you ask a good question, then you get promoted to the, to the uh, next row up. So Rav Yosef is sitting behind Rabbi Abba, who's a, a more a pronounced student. And uh, Rav Huna is sitting and teaching that the law is and now let's analyze this and and when Rav Huna said that Rav Yosef who was sitting in the back turned his face around Rav Yosef turning his face away in disapproval Rav Yosef did not like the teaching of Rav Huna even though it's his teacher and his, here's his complaint I understand why you, to, why you need to tell us halacha is like Rabbi Yosheb ben Korcha because he's a minority opinion and usually we follow the majority so you need to tell me chidush. In this case, we don't always follow the majority. There's exceptions to the rule. Um, so that's why you need to tell me, oh, this is an exception. Fine, that, uh, that halacha is like a single opinion here. Rabbi Yosheb, uh, uh, but the other, Rabbi Yehuda, why do you need to tell me that? I would have known on my own, which we'll see in a second. First, we want to identify what is the halacha of Rabbi Yoshua uh, that, he's, uh, that he's talking about. Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha, Maihi de Tanya. Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha, Mer. Milve bishtar enifrein mehen. Milve alpe enifrein mehen vipneshu kemasil meyadam. Um, the halakha is that one is not allowed to do business with an idolater near the time of their holidays because then by doing business with them and they're going to be uh, happy and excited about it and then that will contribute to their idolatrous worship on their holiday. So you're not allowed. However, there are also exceptions to that. If you lent them money with a document, right, and you have proof, then you cannot collect that near the holiday because you can always collect it later. So just wait, wait a, wait a couple of weeks till the holiday's over and then collect it and you have proof so you can take them to court. But if you had an, only an oral loan with them and they're here and they're offering to pay you back, take it because since it's only oral and you have no proof, if you don't take the money now, you may never be able to get it. So this is like a masil miyadam. It's like saving something like that he stole, um, that, you know, that this is your opportunity to go and, uh, and, uh, and redeem it. Otherwise, you won't have it at all. So even though it's true that um, he's, you're doing business with him near his, hol- on his, near his holiday, but not getting paid at all is worse. So this is a permitted case. That's the story. That's the halacha of Rabbi Yosheb ben Korcha. He's a minority opinion. Um, but Rav Huna is saying that's the halacha anyway. 
אלא החל כרבי יהודה, למה לי מחלוקת ואחר כך סתם היא, ומחלוקת ואחר כך סתם הלכה כסתם. But why, רב וונה, did you need to teach me that הלכה זה כרבי יהודה? After all, um, in the mission, order of the Mishnayot, First, it brings a machloket about this between Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Meir. That's in our Mishnah that we learned before. And then, later on, it has Stam, an anonymous Mishnah, like Rabbi Yudah. So if it has a, machlo- a, stam, a, a stam Mishnah like Rabbi Yudah, then I know that that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the halacha, if it's in that order. Whenever you have a controversy, but followed by an anonymous uh, opinion, uh, like one of them, then halacha follows the Stam. And that's why... Lavuna, uh, that's why Rav Yosef turned his face away. But Lavuna, why are you telling us obvious teachings? So let's identify the um, the machloket and the stam. Machloket v'babakama. The controversy is in Masechet v'babakama, our Mishnah that we're analyzing. It's the case in our Mishnah of uh, someone who gives wool to a dyer, asking him to dye it red, and instead he makes it black. Or he asks him to make it black, and instead he makes it red. And Bime had ruled that the dyer will keep the wool, the dyed wool, and simply pay the value of that wool to the customer. But Rabbi Udad disagreed and said that the uh, dyer will actually give the dyed wool to the customer, even though it's dyed in the wrong way. And because the dyer messed up, so the uh, um, the um, customer gets a discount, whichever is less. If the enhanced value is less than the expenses, then he only has to, then, then the um, customer only has to pay for the expenses. And if the expenses is more than the enhancement of value, then the customer only has to pay the enhancement of value. That was the machloket here. Ustam bebaba masiyah, in masechet bebaba masiyah, the Mishnah there it says, ditnan, kola meshaneh yadola tachtona, vechola chozer bo yadola tachtona. Anyone who deviates from the terms of an agreement, is he has the lower hand and he can he can decide what the lower value to to take either to right take his money back altogether or get the get it get the uh, get a good deal um and that's that's exactly what we're applying in here um that the since the uh the dyer is uh, changed from the terms of the agreement. He's supposed to make it black. Instead, he made it red. So therefore, he the choice is not in, in his in the dyer's hands. Rather, the the upper hand is given over to the other party, to the uh, customer, who can decide uh, which which price he's going to pay, and he can pay the lower of the expenses and the enhanced value. In addition, that Mishnah says anyone who reneges on a deal, he his also he's at the disadvantage. Right? We had a deal, and whichever party decides to uh, to change his mind so they're gonna be, take the losing hand okay so that Mishnah is in accord with Rabbi Yehuda who just here also says since the uh, dyer uh, uh, changed the uh, from the terms of the agreement that's why he has the lower hand and he gets paid the lesser amount so this seems to be a, a good point that Rav Yosef made. That's why he turned his, his head away, because this is obvious. Machloket, and then Stam, even though one's in Baba Kama, one's in Baba Masiah, but you should remember it. 
And you'll know, oh, here's the stam that relates to that. And so this is obvious that the halakha is going to be like Rabbi Yehuda. So without Rav Huna, why did he take the time to tell us that halakha is like Rabbi Yehuda if it's obvious? For Rav Huna, istirich salkadatach amina, en seder la mishnah, ustam be'achar kach machloket hi. Rav Huna thinks that there is no order within mishnayot. And therefore, this can just as likely be interpreted as a stam, the one of Rabbi Mitzia'ah, that says, if whoever changes, he gets the lower hand. And Machloket is over here. It doesn't necessarily, when the Rebbe Udanasi taught the Mishnayot, he didn't teach them in a specific order. He taught here and he taught there. Remember, this was, these were all orally recited, not in the book. If you write it in a book or a scroll, then you have to put it in order because you have to know what's, what's first, what's last. But when you're reciting it, you know, you just start wherever, whatever you're thinking of. Things aren't in an order in our brain. It's uh, by association. Like, you know, think of all the songs that you know. You don't know them in a specific order. You just know lots of songs. So there's no order in the Mishnah, and therefore you cannot apply that rule. That's a machloket and then stam. But Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, what are you going to do with that argument? Rav Yosef says, what are you going to do with this rule? You're going to have to throw out the rule. Anytime that we apply the rule that is a machloket and then stam, and therefore halacha follows stam, we can always, give that argument no there's no order and this is really stam and then a machloket so now you're destroying you're ruining the whole rule what about everything else that we learned from such a rule Ravuna says when I don't apply the law that there is no uh, order what he means that's a double negative he says when I, I do apply the uh, the law that there is order I, I think that there is order in Mishnayot within one Masechet then if you have earlier in the Masechet chapter 1 it says Machloket and chapter 2 is a Stam then I would apply the rule so I do apply the rule but if it's in two different Masechetot like here Baba Kama Baba Metziah there I don't say which makes sense that it'd be he did have an order within Masechtot, right? Here's chapter 1, chapter 2. He didn't jumble everything. So everybody remembered orally the order of all the Mishnayot and all the chapters within a Masechet. But from one Masechet to the other, maybe he taught this, maybe he taught this Masechet first and then Masechet second or the other way around. They're not bound in a, in a book. So there is no order. But Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef agrees in essence that you don't look at order between two Masechtot, but he thinks that all of Nezikin is actually one tractate. Baba, Kama, Baba, Messiah, Baba, Batra. The word Baba means a gate, meaning a unit. Unit one, unit two, unit three, or first one, Kama, Messiah, the middle one, and the last one. This is just a way of breaking down. It's a very long Masechet. It's called Masechet Nezikin that has 30 chapters. To make it more manageable, we just split it into units, unit one, unit two, unit three. Um, like in Masechet Kelim, we have the same thing, 30 uh, uh, Mishnayot, and uh, we split it there also into three sections. But really, it's all one Masechet, um, which uh, is in fact the case, and therefore, even though one's about Kama, one's about Masiyah, um, there's, these are all one Masechet, so we can apply the rule that this is Stam, uh, first Machloket, and then Stam. Or another reason um, that uh, Rav Yosef could argue is um, that the, the statement in Baba Metziah 
is said in the context of a decided law, um, because you see it's next to another decided law. So these are general um, uh, categorical rules. Anyone who changes from the agreement has, gets the lower hand, and anyone who reneges on a deal gets the lower hand. Since it's said uh, within the context of yet another apodictic clear ruling, so you see that the genre here is, this is the bottom line, this is the halakha, and that's, that's therefore this should be the, um, uh, this should it should be obvious that that is, that is the halakha, and now we understand why Rav Yosef turned his face away from Rav Huna's teaching. Tenor Banan, another uh, law about someone who deviates from an agreement. Tanoten ma'ot lishluha likach lo chitin v'lakach ben seorin seorin v'lakach behen chitin. If I send a messenger, I give him money, I give him a thousand dollars, and I say, I'll tell him go and buy wheat, but instead he buys barley, or I tell him go buy barley, and he goes and buys wheat. We're talking about a case where we're going to be partners together. I'm putting up the money, and this uh, agent is going to uh, buy at a low price and go and sell it, and then any profit that he makes will split it. I'm a silent partner, and he's an active partner. So I told him, go buy wheat. I'm expecting him to buy wheat. Instead, he went and got barley, or the other way around. So what is the ruling? We have two opposite baraito. If he, the agent ends up selling it and losing money, the agent loses the money. And if he uh, uh, sell, buys the wrong thing, he's supposed to buy Wheaties buys barley and he ends up making money, the agent makes the money. In other words, the agent is on his own and because he deviated from the normal, uh, from what I told him to do, he's not my partner anymore. So he just took my money, he has to give me back a thousand dollars and now with his own money, on his own risk, he either makes or loses the money. That's one b'raita. V'tane chada, im pachatu pachatu lo v'motiru, hotiru la'emsa. The second b'raita says, if there's a loss, then he bears a loss because he didn't follow my instructions. But if there's a gain, then I do get 50% of the gain and we're still partners. So basically we're still partners, but because he messed up, I'm not going to take a loss in case um, in, in case there is a loss, right? He messed up, so therefore he bears the loss alone, but I can get the gain. That's the second b'raita. So uh, how do we explain the difference between these two b'raita? Uh, a couple of explanations. The first one is by the Yochanan. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Lakashya, Harbi Meir, Harbi Yehuda. The first b'raita is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, the second one is Rabbi Yehuda. Harbi Meir, Damashinui Koneh, Harbi Yehuda, Damashinui Eno Koneh. The first b'raita follows Rabbi Meir who says that when someone changes an item, then he acquires it for himself. The Bimeir applied that rule regarding the dyer. If I give the dyer wool and I say make it red, and instead he makes it black, he that's a significant change to the wool that he made. So now once he changes the wool, um, or he I give him wood and he makes a cabinet, so he acquires it for himself. Therefore, um, if he makes it the wrong color or makes a cabinet instead of a chair, then he, the, the dyer or the carpenter, keeps the item and only repays the original amount that I gave him in the first place. And so here also, I meant to be part, going into partnership with you, but you messed up. So um, uh, I, you, you have to give me back the money, right? And then the, uh, whatever you bought, you bought wheat. I didn't tell you to buy. I told you to buy barley. You bought wheat instead. That's yours only. It belongs to the agent. And that's why 
any loss or gain goes to the agent. Whereas the second Baraita is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, who says that just because you messed up doesn't mean that you acquire it. The agent does not acquire it. He's still a partner. That's why if he, I told him to buy wheat and he bought barley and he made money, good, we're still partners and I get 50%. But if he loses money, then because he uh, changed from the agreement, we agreed that we're going to use barley and not wheat. Because he changed from the agreement, he gets the he has the lower hand. He takes all the loss, even though if there is a gain, he has to give me fifty percent of the gain. So that's how Rabbi Yochanan explained these two. But I taught. Hold on. Rabbi Elazar says, how do you know that the first opinion would be to be Meir? Uh, maybe to be Meir only thinks that someone who, who changes an item acquires it. That's only if he wants to use it for himself. If I give you wool, because I want to use that wool for my sweater. Or I give you wood to make a chair because I want to use the chair. But I want red and I want this kind of chair. And you messed up and made a different one. So there, because you once you changed... So now you acquire it and I don't want it. Just give me back my original raw material. That's where he would say that the person cares because he's really going to use it. But if it's merchandise, then what does the person care? When I go into business with someone, I just want to make money. And if it turns out that he, I, we, we, we agreed on, on uh, um, uh, wheat. But in the end, he got there and he thought, you know, the barley is going to be profitable. So my point is, I just want to be profitable. And as long as he made a, de a decision that is good business sense and is profitable, then it's not, it's not, it's not a fundamental change. Um, even the Bimeir would agree that we remain partners. And therefore, the Bimeir Azad has a different uh, solution. Bimeir Azad can say both, but I thought are the opinion of the Bimeir. The first one, that says the agent keeps the item and whether it's whether it goes up in value or, or down in value that's where the sender wanted to eat it they weren't going to business together i wanted you to buy wheat because i wanted to eat wheat and then you bring barley forget about it i don't want the barley give me my money back and if the in the meantime the price of what you bought went up or down that's your problem whereas the second baraita is talking about where we i wanted to go into business together and so there um, uh, I don't really care what you buy as long as you buy something that's profitable and that's why in that case if it goes up good right so I that, that was uh, that was fine that's exactly what I wanted if it goes down however uh, then uh, you changed so uh, even a Bimeir would agree that regarding merchandise, if you change, then you get the lower hand, and that's why you have to bear all of the loss. Machachu Allah bema'arava, l'rabi Yochanan, alibad rabi Yehuda, v'chi mihodi o lebaal chaitin, shekne chaitin lebaal ma'ot. In the West, meaning in Eretz Yisrael, the sages laughed at Rabbi Yochanan's answer, um, uh, considering his explanation of Rabbi Yehuda, because they said, "Who told the seller of the of, of the wheat that he should transfer ownership to the uh, investor, who's the the sender of the agent in the first place?" In other words, when the agent messes up. And was supposed to, they agreed that they're going to buy, he's going to buy barley. Here's a thousand dollars, go buy barley. And he ends up going and taking wheat. 
according to Rabbi Yehuda. Nevertheless, the uh, if there's a gain, they're, they're still in, he's still an investor, which means when the agent takes the bar takes the barley uh, from the seller, um, half of it does get transferred to the sender. But how does that transfer happen? The seller doesn't know that this guy isn't even an agent for anyone. So the seller cannot have in mind to transfer it to the um, owner. And uh, the agent is not doing what the owner asked him to do. So he's not acting as an agent. And therefore, by what mechanism can the sender still be a partner and get half of the income? So Rav Shemuel Bar Sastri says, wait, according to that, don't, don't laugh at Yochanan, because by that logic, even if, if it's wheat, uh, uh, they agreed on wheat, and he bought wheat, also, the, since the seller doesn't know that this guy's an agent, so the seller has in mind he's transferring it to the agent himself, and doesn't know that there's a sender behind him, so then what's the mechanism by which the sender gets half of the of the deal. Uh, so there also you'd have the same question, the same problem. That is answerable. Now, if we agreed on wheat and he bought wheat, so then the agent is acting as my agent, and he is like the like the owner. He is a, an extension of the sender. So as an extension of the sender, he can go, and the seller doesn't need to know who's uh, acquiring it. He, all, the, all the sender knows is that this guy's acquiring it, but the agent, who is physically acquiring, represents the sender, and therefore can acquire it on behalf of the sender. The problem is when he deviates and buys barley instead of wheat, then he's not doing the command of the sender, and uh, therefore there is no mechanism by which the sender could possibly uh, gain possession of the of half of the of whatever he's buying, so that's the problem, and that's why they uh, mocked Rabbi Yochanan. We now attempt to bring a proof that if someone is appointed as an agent, then the agent can in fact acquire buy something, acquire something on behalf of the sender. Arachin says that someone who donates to the Beta Mikdash all of his property, um, uh, or if he donates his own value as an uh, as an arachin, um, which is a fixed value in the Torah according to age and gender, and he donates himself to the Beit Hamikdash. In either of these cases, um, he does not have to uh, give the his his wife's clothing or his children's clothing, and not even anything that he died for their sake. He didn't give it to them yet. But he got some wool and he had to give it to the dyer and here dye this red on behalf of my wife because I want to give her this sweater and not also for new sandals that he bought uh, for his children or for his wife even though he didn't give it to them yet and they didn't start wearing it yet nevertheless he bought it for them so when he donates all of his property he only donates his own property things that are his, his own personal things but something clothing that belongs to his wife and children, even though you know it's in his house, um, but he gave it to them, or he bought it with intention to give to them, so it's theirs. Now, why not? Why, why doesn't it become hikdesh? Why don't you say, 
who told the dyer that the dyer should acquire it, uh, should give it to the to the uh, husband on behalf of his wife. In other words, the dyer, when he says here, dye this red, the dyer doesn't know who it's for. All the dyer knows is he dyes it and then gives it back. But now it's a new item, so he gives it to the um, uh, the 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 husband. Now the husband has in mind that's going to be to the wife, um, but the dyer doesn't know that. So if you're going to argue that an agent cannot act on behalf of someone, well then there's no mechanism for it to go to the wife, and therefore when he makes it ekdesh, it should all be ekdesh. But that's not what the Mishnah says. Rather, we say that since the husband is acting as an agent for the wife. Whether or not the wife told him to or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, see, he's, he's acquiring on behalf of his wife, acting as an agent, um, so that therefore, when he acquires it from the dyer, even if the dyer doesn't know who the intended recipient is, it still works. So to here, uh, when the agent goes and buys wheat or barley, um, and as he is told so, they agree they're going to buy wheat, and he goes and buys wheat. So he is like an extension of the hand of the sender. And even if the seller of the wheat doesn't know where it's going and who's getting it, doesn't matter. Uh, an agent can acquire something on someone else's behalf. So that seems to be a good proof. We're going to reject this proof. No, the reason is, is not because he doesn't own his wife's clothing, because he acquired it on her behalf and then immediately went to her and he has no rights over it. That's not the reason, the explanation of the Mishnah Arachin. Rather, the reason is he does own it, this item, because he didn't give it to his wife yet and he only acquired it himself. And although it's on behalf of his wife, he didn't give it to his wife yet, so he still owns it. It could be very well be that. And the reason why it doesn't become Ekdesh is because anyone who has, who uh, uh, consecrates all of his property, he doesn't have his mind, his wife's uh, clothing and his children's clothing. He's in his mind, he's excluding that, right? Because he figures, I'm going to donate the stuff that I use, not the stuff that my family uses. And that's why, because he never intended to make Ekdesh in the first place. Matkifla de Bizera, but Bizera rejects this interpretation. Why you do think that when a person says, uh, All my property is Ekdesh, does he have in mind his Tifilin also? And probably not, right? I mean, a person's not going to want to give away his Tifilin, but yet the Mishnah Narachin says, If someone says, I, I uh, uh, consecrate all my property, then his Tifilin also, he has to give to the Beta Mikdash. Um, so we see here that it doesn't matter what he has in mind or not have, have has in mind. If someone says, all my property is donated, then everything he owns is donated, whether he has it in mind or not. So that this, Rabbi Abba, cannot be the explanation of why his wife's clothing is excluded. So, Abaye, defending Rabbi Abba, says, when a person donates all his property, he does have in mind his tefillin, because he's thinking, I'm doing a mitzvah. I'm doing mitzvah by donating, and so I want to donate my tefillin also. I want to donate extra. What about the mitzvah of tefillin? I'll have to figure that out. I'll have to go and borrow from a friend tomorrow. I'll have to acquire new tefillin. But it could very well be that, yes, he wants to go above and beyond and do extra mitzvah and donate as much as possible, and he wants to donate his tefillin. But a normal person, uh, if he has any sensibility, is 
not going to donate the clothing of his wife and his children because of hatred, right? He's going to come home and all, all the, his wife's clothing, his wife's uh, wardrobe is emptied out. She's going to come home. So where's all my clothes? Oh, I donated it. She's not going to say, what a sadiq I married. You're, you're, so, so you're so generous and donate things to the Beta Mikdash. No, she's going to be very angry. How dare you to give away all my clothes? What am I going to do now? So therefore, a person specifically will, has in mind not to donate his wife's uh, clothing, but he would want to donate his tefillin. And so to be as to be Abba's explanation makes perfect sense. So there's no proof from this Mishnah that you can acquire, an agent can acquire something on behalf of someone else. But we reject this too. otan. Included in this Mishnah is someone who donates his own value. And we know that um, uh, another Mishnah in Arachin says that um, if someone uh, is, has to, is, uh, owes an Erech, let's say he says, let's say he's middle aged, male, so if he says, Erki Alai, I donate my worth, he has to give 50 shekel. Um, and if he doesn't pay it right away, the temple treasury comes and seizes his property as collateral. Now, does a person have in mind when he says, Erki Alai, that he wants to have all of his property seized? Presumably not. A person does not want to have his property seized. But it doesn't matter, even though he doesn't have that in mind. But still, if you say, once you say, my value is donated, then the temple treasury has the right to take everything. And therefore, it doesn't really matter what you intend or not intend. If you say, all my property is donated, even if you have in mind, you know what, um, my wife will be really angry if I donate her clothes, doesn't matter because it's part of your property and you said the words my property is donated so then the the wife's clothing would also be uh, be donated so to be abba's uh, explanation of what the person had in mind doesn't work rather to be abba still rejects the original explanation but offers a new one um, and says that anytime someone give, makes his property hikdesh, it's as if he transferred to his wife um, or his children the, that clothing from, 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 at, from the outset. In other words, if he's donating everything to the to the Beit Hamikdash, since we know that he would not want to uh, um, uh, donate his wife's clothing, so then. He has, we assume, he had in mind when he got it from the dyer, not that the dyer can give it to him as an agent on behalf of his wife, because we're rejecting that idea that an agent uh, can do such a thing. I mean, at least there's no proof from here, um, because we can assume that the agent, that the dyer gives it to the, to the husband. So the husband acquires it, acquires it for himself because uh, the dyer has no, uh, doesn't ha know that he wants to acquire it on behalf of someone else. So he's only intending to transfer it to the, to the husband. However, the husband can unilaterally say, I want this to belong to my wife. Um, and even without a formal transaction, uh, since they're married, uh, surely, or his kids, so we know for sure that he would want to, and so he can transfer it to them. And therefore, when we see that he donates everything, then we can assume for sure that 
he transferred it, he, he did transfer it to them. So it's not through being an agent as he buys it. So therefore, um, in the end, there's no proof from this, uh, from this Mishnah in Arachin that an agent can transfer something, uh, can, can acquire something on behalf of someone else. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.